the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, are we living in the end times? And then, why do we believe in conspiracy theories? What do we think about gender-affirming hysterectomies for minors? And later, remembering the life of Frederick Buechner. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Thursday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. If you've missed any of our shows this week, including yesterday's rousing rendition, Aubrey, of Bible or Shakespeare. That was fun. I liked that. You liked it because you did well at it. That's true. If I didn't do well, I'd be like, that was a stupid game. There you Why go. Why did we play that? If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, and review. That really does help us out a bunch. You can also find us on 1160hope.com. All right, Aubrey, you didn't really grow up in the evangelical world. I mean, I, it's so complicated because I did and I didn't. Like, I came to Christ a little later in life, just before middle school, and we weren't really a church-going family until later. So, yes and no, I missed some of the fun stuff. But did you have like, did you, were you early enough as so as to get into like the CCM Christian music world? Oh, uh, who were your people? Yeah, I would say it, for me, it started with like DC Talk yep, and like Stephen Curtis Chapman. Those would be my earliest like uh, introductions yes. into CCM. Because I, I went through like Petra stage. No, I missed and... that. I mean, I, I know about Petra from other people, but I missed all of that. Yep, yep. Yeah. Now, one of the forerunners, at least that I remember, was a band called Striper. I've heard of Striper, kind of a heavy metal Christian band, right? Yep, to yeah. Hell with the Devil. That was their Ooh, big one, To Hell wow. with the Devil. Uh, but they were That's they awesome. came along in the 80s and maybe late 70s, I don't know, but okay. early, at least in the mid-80s. Like a hair band Exactly. For they were the Christian. Love it. They were... Uh, you know, they were Bon Jovi. They yeah. were all that the okay. hair band. This is uh, awesome. Guns and Roses. That was really hard, but then they would also do the ballad. Right? Straper, oh, Straper yes. did this song honestly. That was all Ooh. of a sudden you're like, This is a love song, a ballad, and whatever. <laughs> wow, okay. So the lead singer of Striper, Michael Sweet, I bring this up because he said something the other day that caught my eye because I'm like, I would like to talk about this and say and decide if we agree with him. Okay, okay. And and beyond that, here, I'm going to read the quote. So do we agree with them, and does it matter okay. what he's saying? So it says, the front man of Grammy-nominated and groundbreaking Christian band Striper uh, says he believes Jesus' return will take place sooner than skeptics believe, and he doesn't care if you think he's crazy. Okay. He said this on a podcast. Let me read his quote. It's a little lengthy, but let me go for it. I think we're definitely living in the end times, but that could be short, but that could be relatively soon, in the very near future, or that could be in the relatively distant future. So he's all over the place. Okay. I don't think it's going to be hundreds of thousands of years from now, but I think that it's coming and our time is marked. I think sometimes we think we're invincible. Nothing can hurt us. And obviously COVID kind of taught us a lesson on that, didn't it? Sure. We are not invincible and anything can happen at any given time unexpectedly that leaves us in awe saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I never imagined that ever happening. And it can and will happen. It's just a matter of time. And he goes on to talk about very end timesy stuff, mm. right? Like 
Uh, Jesus is about to come back. Uh, A lot of things are falling into place. He says, people can laugh and sneer and think Christians are crazy, and that's fine. I believe in the Bible. I believe what it says, and I think those times are coming. I think we're living in those times absolutely for sure. When Jesus returns, he said, it'll be too late for the people who thought those people were crazy. All right. End times. Yeah. So this is less about Striper, more about end times theology. Right. Because you and I are pastors. We grew up in the church world. like. Many books, Left Behind series, Left Behind movies, This Present Darkness, right? All of these books. Right. Uh, The hard question is what's right, what's wrong? Like, how do you think this through? But I want to ask what I think is actually the more important question. Does it even matter? Yeah. So I I really struggle with this. I'll be honest with Mm -hmm. you. Um, And I struggle that I struggle with it. Part of it is... You know, Jesus said himself, like, no one knows the day or the hour. Mm. Only the Father knows. Like, Jesus was saying, I don't even know. The angels don't even know. Only the Father knows. And yet there's some scripture that says you can read some of the signs of the times and kind of get a sense of, like, when Jesus may be returning. But I tend to be very cynical and find it cringeworthy when anybody's talking about, I know it's coming soon. Jesus is coming back now. Mm-hmm. But I hear Christians say this a lot, like, uh, man, the times are getting bad. Jesus is coming back. Mm-hmm. Times are getting mm-hmm. bad. I mean, I sat with a friend in all earnestness the other day who was like very convinced Jesus is coming back mm-hmm. like any moment. And I think where I struggle with my own cynicism, Brian, is I wish I was like, I can't wait for Mm. Jesus to come back. That's going to be awesome. But instead, my first instinct is sort of like, you're weird. Don't like, I feel like I'm, I'm the cynic in this, like that he's talking about. I'm the one saying here, here's, here's what I think. At the ultimate end of the day, the actual end of the day, um, we don't know Mm-mm. when Jesus is going to return. And yet we ought to live like Jesus is going to return. And what I think that means is not fear. What I think that means is not panic. What I think that means is an urgency to live for Jesus. Mm. It's an urgency to share the gospel with people. It's an urgency to share the love of God. But what I think where it becomes cringy for me is I don't want it to be this sort of like, God's going to come and destroy everything, turn or burn. I don't like that message because I don't think that's a gospel of love and forgiveness and transformation. I also don't think it's a, it's a, it's an end times theology that I tend to agree with is more mm. that Jesus is returning to make all things new, not destroy everything. Right. right. So I, I, I think that's you good. can tell I'm a little, I, I wrestle, I wrestle. So I think here's where we wrestle. I think you and I watch movies or read books like left behind and go, I don't think that's accurate. Yeah. And it often, here, let me also try to put words as we process this. It also feels very, um, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. The ours is the day. Yeah. Are like a misreading of this and that. Um, so, uh, and I agree with you. Jesus said, nobody's going to know when I'm coming mm-hmm. back. Like, uh, you know, that is a true statement. On the other hand, we are called to live as if he's coming yeah. back soon. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the differentiation. I get, worried and bothered by people who are like, look at this chart. Look at this. We spend all the time reading the books, trying to pinpoint when's he coming back. Right. I don't, I dare I say, I think that's a waste of your time. Yeah. Like that's not our calling. Mm. Instead we go, 
Am I living a life that I'm that I'm living with an urgency that mm. says Jesus could come back yeah. tomorrow? Yeah. Like, what does that mean for my life today? That's he good. might come back tomorrow. He might come back in 10,000 years. Right. It might look completely different than right. what we've been taught. It might look like this has been a debate going on for generations. Yes. And here's the deal. Every generation thinks he's coming back in their generation. <laughs> I was just thinking that even even the early disciples of Jesus thought he was coming back in their generation. So what does a life look like that actually lives with that urgency? Not this obsession with, let me read the, the, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the signs and this and that, because I I do, I don't think we should be doing that, Mm -hmm. but what I do think we live with an urgency that says he is coming back. So what does that urgency look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I I would say it's almost the same urgency as like, you don't know when you're going to die Mm. and meet Jesus face to face. And so again, don't live in fear, but live with intentionality. Like, am I loving my neighbors? Am I sharing the gospel? Am I being a witness? Am I leaving a legacy? Am I faithful to God? Am I faithful to my family? Like, I I think these are all beautiful invitations from God, and we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to live like, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, time is short. And any of us who have lost someone unexpectedly understand that, like, wow, time is fleeting. Time is short. One day you're living your best life. The next day you're gone. Yes. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, the treasures that you are stewarding ought to be treasures in heaven that last forever. And I think also, like, this can cause some anxiety and fear. Like, even as I'm talking about this, I feel myself, like, getting a little bit anxious. Like, it's a moment to go, okay, Jesus, wow, you're good, you're gracious, you're loving. I know these things about you. I'm feeling a little anxiety. Can I live with a peace from you, shalom from you, and live for you yes. in the number of days that only you know that I have. Help me live that way. That's great. That's what it looks like to live with urgency. I do think we're supposed to have an urgency that comes with an eternal perspective, but also not an obsession yeah. with like, oh, this war happened, therefore Jesus is coming mm-hmm. back. This There's reams of books and books and libraries yeah. of books have been written about this. And you yeah. know what happens? They get it wrong and then they go, Oh, let me tweak this and do this. No, we live with an urgency that says Jesus is coming back. Or like you said, an urgency that says my life could end tomorrow. But we don't become obsessed with the signs and and what's going on. I think that's helpful. That's good. Uh, Striper, by the way. Yes. One thing they used to do at their concerts, they would throw out Bibles. Ah. Not throw in the garbage, but throw them out to the the audience. I love that. Let's see if you love. people on the head? No, let me see if you love the second part of this. They were they were Bibles with the striper emblem on the cover. No, no problem. Uh, yeah, I always think it's a problem when someone says this is uh, my version of the Bible. I worked for Testaments. I, I don't have much <laughs> I can stand on. <laughs> Aubrey, let's talk conspiracy theories. Okay, let's do it. So uh, we hear a lot. I would say one of the things that has ushered in in the last five to ten years is beliefs of conspiracy theory about this or that but what are your favorite conspiracy theories i'm not saying which ones do you believe in oh which here let me ask you i'll tell you one that's my favorite and i believe in it okay and then i want to know the rabbit holes you'll go down like trying to go go ahead i mean for sure the loch ness monster like i i have been look i have been to loch ness in scotland i have done the tour and i am a believer i have a t-shirt that says i believe in nessie like (laughs) I have I have Loch Ness monster uh, like items in my house. Like I believe in the Loch Ness monster, so that that's one that I both love and believe. Okay, 
Okay. They convinced me when I was there. They told me that the, it's the specific type of water the, in that lock. Did you ever watch River Monsters? Uh, yeah, the fish, the fish for crazy things. Right? He did one on the Loch Ness monster, oh, yeah? and he came up with what he thinks it is. What does he? Think I don't it is? remember. It was a big. I think like, it's a big dinosaur. Snake. Oh, it was a like big a snake, snake of some sort. Oh, but okay. uh, I've got. I will go down rabbit holes on on conspiracy theories. Like what? I I'm fascinated by conspiracy yeah. theories. And rarely believe them. So yes. I subscribe to a podcast called Conspiracy Theories, oh. where I will listen to them. What I appreciate is often at the end of those, they'll go, we think the actual story is the <laughs> right is story. It is the true one. Uh, I have a weird kind of obsession with two. Okay, let's hear them. What are and they? And they're two of the biggest ones. What are they? I will spend a long time watching stuff and doing stuff with the uh, JFK assassination. Oh, will you really? Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Because that one, when you go too far, you can start to go, could that guy have shot him by himself? Could, uh, who's uh, that person with uh, the umbrella? Yeah, All that that's stuff. Fair. That's the fair. ones that I don't believe, but I've actually gone down some rabbit holes. Yeah. I have a weird 9 11 obsession. Oh, like, of you watching do. the documentaries, not even about the conspiracy theories, yeah. but just in general. Like, okay. when. And ironically, ended up having one of my children was born on 9-11. I know. That is kind of ironic. Uh, not the 9-11, but obviously years later. Yeah. But I will. I have gone down them, and I find those to be gross. What are the conspiracy theories around 9-11? I don't know oh, if I know these. Oh, a lot of uh, the United States government was behind it. Oh, that's there's, terrible. Come there's, on. When the planes hit, you could actually see the buildings explode, like, from the ground up. Oh, so there come was, on. they were wired. Oh. There's oh, lots of stuff about that. It gets crazy. Yeah, It does get crazy. pretty crazy. I don't tend... I, I, I mean, Loch Ness Monster aside, I don't tend to ever believe, because conspiracy theories mean a whole group of people have agreed that they will never tell this secret. Yep. And I don't trust humanity that much, that we're like, no, I mean, if you know this big secret, you're sharing it. I, I, It takes too much suspension of disbelief for me to believe in a conspiracy theory. So I'm not, I tend to never believe conspiracies, Especially honestly. ones that have been a long time coming, yeah. like, uh, like the JFK assassination. You would have yeah. thought at this point... Uh, more more information would have come out. That's right. That's right. So you might be asking, why are we discussing this? I I came across this article that uh, moon landing conspiracy theorists say this photo is the new hoax proof. And basically saying they found a photo in which they say you could see a reflection in the visor of one of the astronauts of somebody who doesn't belong there. And I, what's interesting to me, I don't buy this at all. Like this could be another astronaut. This could be a rock, whatever else yeah. it is. But what always fascinates me about the moon landing one is that people go to such lengths to believe things. It's almost it, it has become just easier to believe we landed on the moon. Right. It's sort of like, why? Like, what's the point behind spending so much time and energy disproving this thing? So that's what I want to ask you. Not yeah. the moon landing one, but in general. Yeah. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. There are crazy conspiracy sure. theories out there. Dangerous conspiracy yes. theories. Alex Jones just got... Uh, guilty and has to pay a lot of money because of his conspiracy theories about Sandy Hook. Oh, which I don't were, know. Oh, I don't, don't hear don't this. Oh, them. come awful. on. But you asked the important question. Yeah. Conspiracy theories are growing, not shrinking. Right. Why? Why do we yeah. tend to believe these things? Why are we fascinated by these things? Why do conspiracy theories, whether it be uh, election conspiracy mm-hmm. theories or the Kennedy mm-hmm. assassination or not. Why conspiracy theories? Why do they take hold? Well, I think part of it, at least as far as when it comes to like election or politically motivated ones, I think there's we I'm not exactly sure what this tendency is in us, but we do want to believe there's some sinister motives behind uh, political leaders mm-hmm. and that like 
people, the things that we believe are right and true. Like there are groups of people out to get those. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exactly sure what that, I do think there's a certain personality type that is more prone to conspiracy theories than another. I just um, told you I like conspiracy theories. Yeah, so what does so, that say? Uh, well, I'm, uh, what does that say? I, but you're, t- but you're saying I you're interested yes, more yes, than yes. you believe them and you're yes. a conspiracy I theorist yourself. Them. Yes. There are lots of conspiracy theories, even within the church that mm-hmm. are convinced that like there's a whole group of people with sinister motivations. It strikes me, honestly, sadly, like where it goes too far and it can become like, a, um, uh, you know, it can become like problematic when it turns into paranoia or something like where you're living in fear out of distrust. And I'm not sure why we are giving, it's like we're giving way too much power to whoever we think is behind these conspiracies. So we didn't even mention the biggest one these days is COVID, right? And there's, think about the stories that came out about COVID and uh, the beliefs about COVID. I think when it comes to conspiracy theories, I wonder if it's a thing about control. Mm. Oh, there's these, I can't explain everything in the world, but Mm. there's these big bad forces out there of evil that are trying to manipulate the world. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to uncover it. There's like this, uh, this thing about control, but let me ask you this conspiracy theorists within the church, not about the church, right? But we as Christians claim to be people of the truth, right? Right. And my history is that a lot of Christians buy into a lot of conspiracy theories and kind of propagate them online or other places. What's the danger? This feels dangerous to me. So what's our word to people who are very kind of bent towards conspiracy theories? Yeah, it it does feel it does feel dangerous. I'm over here on a psychology website trying to find some expertise on why it's so dangerous. I think part of it is at a very, very basic level. It's simply a distraction from like living your life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. Okay. That's part of the danger. I think too is um, it really is allowing something that is unprovable to be a source of truth for you. And so you're, you're laying your foundation or putting your trust in something that really is not reliable and that changes. And conspiracy theories are not a new thing. They've been no. around for a really long time. And so what we've seen over time is that they don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, like they're pointless, they're fruitless. And so, I mean, maybe you do it because it's entertaining. That's one thing. But I think soon if you begin to put your faith, your hope, your identity in conspiracy theories, ultimately you're you're really getting self-absorbed, assuming right. that like this thing is out to get you, it can become narcissistic, and you're no longer focusing on Jesus and God's kingdom and a way of peace and shalom and caring for other people. Like I think it's just a weird, unhealthy addiction, honestly. Yeah, yeah I think it is. And I think it's a control thing. And we want to be careful as Christians. This is why I wanted to bring it up. We as Christians want to be careful because, like you said, we're proclaiming truth. Yeah. And we are proclaiming, um, it, you know, and if there is no such thing as truth, that's kind of what conspiracy theories get at. Yeah. Right? There is no truth. There is no verifiable mm. truth. That becomes a really dangerous uh, yeah. thing for we, yeah. for us to go, 
Well, there's not except with the Bible. Right. Or except with. Right. And the conspiracy theories, you say they go back really far. Think about after Jesus was placed in the tomb and they said people were making up conspiracy theories. The disciples stole the bodies, this and that. Yeah. Uh, It goes far. So conspiracy theories can be interesting, but just be careful. Can I I say one more thing about this man on the moon when I'm looking at this picture right now that they're saying is proof that it's a hoax? One, pictures are no longer proof because you can edit anything. Okay. Sounds very conspiratorial of you. Also, too, like. It's just, I feel it's another astronaut. Like, I don't know what's shocking it here. It's like just it. like looking at his astronaut bro that he flew there with. Like, I don't know why this is anything. I mean, if you're going to believe that, then I got some other stuff to tell you. <laughs> but somewhere out there, something is watching us. There are alien forces acting in ways we can't perceive. Are we alone in the universe? Impossible. When you consider the wonders that exist all around us. Voodoo priests of Haiti. The Tibetan numerologists of Appalachia. The unsolved mysteries of... Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, all right, Aubrey, prophecy. Yes. We, we often hear people, and this is a gift of the Spirit, we understand that, like being, they want to be a prophetic voice yes. into our culture. And there are certainly prophets, there are certainly people who speak prophetically. Yes. A lot of times, is this a fair statement? Am I going to get struck by lightning? Those who speak, who who claim to speak prophetically often in the church now are often brash and kind of jerky. Is that a fair statement? Are they just the ones who get the kind of the headlines? Oh, that's interesting. I, I feel like I know some prophetic folks and they are that way. And I go, hmm, do I trust that? But then I also know some who are actually kind and compassionate and just able cool. to sort of cut through cut through all the noise and, like, name things that are true. And I envy that. Um, but they're enjoyable to be around. They're yes. not necessarily jerks. But, yeah, there, there's some truth to that. Like, especially ones that sort of claim to be prophetic. Because mm-hmm. it's a, it, someone who's saying, I'm prophetic, is maybe a little different than someone who's just speaking prophetically. Do you know what I mean? I so do. once it's the folks who are like, I am a prophet, I'm speaking prophetically, those ones do tend to, at least for me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. But yep. but other people who deliver prophecies with a more loving, compassionate tone and aren't just claiming to be prophets, I, I feel like I could listen to them. There the other go. ones I don't want to listen to. And in all fairness, as it points out in this article of church leaders, uh, throughout the Bible, prophets have always boldly spoken truth to power, calling their people to repent of sin. Yeah, that's true. And turn towards God. So, and no one liked them. I mean, we think of Jeremiah. The dude was kidnapped. His life was threatened. Like, nobody liked prophets, even in the Old Testament. Yeah, we romanticize the prophets right. so much. No, no, no. Their like, lives were terrible. I always like to tell our church that like Isaiah, God called Isaiah up into his throne room because Isaiah was going to need that yeah. over the rest of his life. <laughs> Because so his good. life was going yeah. to be awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, was it Ezekiel who? Am I? Was it Ezekiel who literally like laid on his side for two hundred days or something <laughs> like that? Like you know, th- their their lives were not anointed, and they weren't getting like book deals. Uh, at least John the Baptist had a good. Oh wait, oh, they cut his head off. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Uh, church leaders ask this question: What is the difference? Four differences between being prophetic and just being a jerk. This is kind of what I was touching on before. There is uh, oftentimes people who claim to be prophetic uh, are not, but instead yeah. they're just using it as a weapon. Mm. They're just jerky. And so let me read these four, and I'm going to ask you to unpack them. Okay. Here we go. Number one, prophetic people purposefully engage with conflict. 
conflict. Jerks just perpetuate division. Oh, wow. What do you think about that one? Yeah, this is maybe what I was saying about the prophets that I tend to listen to. They're able to they're able to name things like injustice that they see or where Christians are, um, you know, more focused on consumerism or nationalism than they are on the kingdom of God. Like, I I actually think so. They're not afraid of conflict Mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they're not afraid to address people's idols in that way. But then certainly, yeah, there are some people who just want to like fight and challenge everything and just are more negative and causing causing conflict for conflict's sake. Yeah. And that's I don't like being around those people. It says, while the person with a prophetic voice is always willing to meaningfully engage with the conflict their words invite, they aren't stirring up division simply because they enjoy drama. Mm. Only jerks do that. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. Prophetic people speak to the sins of their own tribe. Oh. Jerks judge others. Oh, wow. Now, see, that's a that's kind of an interesting line that I haven't thought of, that prophetic people are preaching almost to themselves and their people. They're not yeah. looking at, like, you out there that I have no relationship with. I'm going to tell you what you've done wrong. And perhaps, Brian, like, I haven't given this enough thought. But one of the things you and I have been talking about recently is kind of our frustration at like what feels like an industry of just tearing down the church, tearing down the church, tearing down the church. Maybe that's the difference here. It's like if you're tearing down or pointing out sins in your own group, that's one thing. But if you're constantly bent on judging others, maybe there's a line there to be towed. It's an interesting thought. Yeah, absolutely. So the article goes on to say that Uh, calling out the sins of, quote-unquote, those people costs you nothing. The people in your tribe applaud applaud Mm. you, and those people aren't listening anyway. Mm. Looking uh, the people you love in the face and calling out their sin is what takes real courage. Prophetic rebuke best takes place in the context of relationship. We've said that often. That's so good. Uh, There is something to be said here. Like, if you're just the one, look at the Old Testament prophets. Who are they mostly, not always, but who are they mostly going after? Israel, right? Yeah, if God right. was speaking to you're his right. people yep. through his yeah. people. And you're right. Not always, but most of the time, that's exactly often, right. And it yep. often didn't go well, as you said. Number yep. three, prophetic people are grieved and burdened. Mm. Jerks feel superior. Yeah, this is one thing I, I appreciated about Jeremiah and my lament studies is he was not separate from the pain of his people, even as he was calling some things out, he was just so deeply entrenched in it that it was like, it was almost like a parent, like this hurts me as much as it hurts you kind of thing. And I do think, I mean, I have to be careful of my own superiority when I'm a jerk. I think about like sometimes even in my marriage, like I can definitely go more jerky superior than I can grieved and burdened. So that's a good word, I think for all of us, but especially thinking about prophets in our lives. Here's the last one, and it's tough. Prophetic people always point to grace and redemption. Jerks just like judgment. Wow. Why is that one important? Wow, this is so interesting. I'm actually going to share some of of what's said in this article, because I think this is right on. It's a common misconception about the Bible that the Old Testament is all about law and judgment, while the New Testament is all about grace and forgiveness. But both of these are Old Testament concepts. And I think ultimately this is about the intention, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you want to call people out. You want to call people sin out. You want to call people's 
idols out, but ultimately that's for their transformation in Jesus and their intimacy with God, not just to be like, you're a terrible person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, motivation, I think, comes into play here. Yeah, like what are you looking for out of this, Mm -hmm. right? You want people to recognize the grace of God. You want people to turn and repent but they were repenting and and getting right. Like that's yeah. the, all ultimately the prophetic voice is there's this injustice, there is this sin, mm-hmm. there's there, there is this blind spot. They use that word in here, which I appreciate. There's this blind spot. God calls up somebody to say, Hey, it's it's go point this out. Like yeah. go speak. And the go the the great way to test these out is to say, what's ultimately the goal? Just to make you feel bad mm-hmm. or for their glory or yeah, whatever else? Or is good. it no, I want to see us more godly. I want to see us more taking up the call of who God has called us. So an interesting article, four differences between mm. being prophetic and just being it's a great title. A jerk. Yep. Brian, uh, somebody gave my husband a nest. Do you know what that is? I've heard. Explain. So it's basically a digital uh, th- thermostat. Like you just, you change the... Um, the temperature in your oh, house. Oh, that's this, right. And you can do it through your phone. So Kevin spent all this time installing it. And I was a little skeptical. Like, this is not different than anything else. It's just a circle instead of a rectangle box. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's actually been kind of fun because you can, like, be up in your bed and you're like, oh, I forgot to turn the temperature down. It's hot. And you just grab your phone app and you dial it down. And apparently there's some other things you can do with it, which we're probably not techie enough to do. But There's always more you can do with it. Yeah. That always gets me yeah, like this. So- Are you guys, uh, is it warm in your home? Or is Kevin like one of these, like, I'm going to save money. We're going to sit here. It's going to be 80 degrees. Or is it like, no, I want to be comfortable. What no, is- we're very comfortable. We we all, I, I am very temperature sensitive. So like when it's cold outside, we have a hot, warm house. When it's, when it's warm outside, we have a very cool house. But at night, I need it cold. I'm okay. one of those sleepers who likes a, like a cold you Lots of blankets in a cold house. Temperature sensitive. Temperature sensitive. Okay. What about you? Are you guys a, a warm, cold house, a saving money house? or? Uh, I do always like saving money, but I would say this is not an area we save money. Yeah. I think our windows aren't great. So I know, I know our windows are not, terrible. I know too. that we should, like, everyone, you know, if you got new windows or you got, it's going to help. But yeah. then you're like, yeah, but it cost me a lot of money to replace save, my windows. I got to spend a lot of money to get those windows. So, no, I would say our house is relatively cool in the yeah. summer, relatively warm in the winter. I'm a lot just, of blankets, though, in the living room. You bringing up windows is almost giving me a little bit of panic because, okay, it's, I have to look outside and go, it's still summer, it's still summer, it's still summer, because I'm thinking about, oh, I got to buy the plastic wrap and the, the, like, the tape to put around the windows. But we don't have to do that yet, Brian. Oh, it yes. is not winter yet. Nope. I am not, I'm not ready to talk about winter coming. It's still summer. It's still summer. Okay, Brian. Uh, I don't know how to transition from the weather to what was kind of a intense story. Okay. That I read. And I, why don't I just share it with you and I'm we'll ready. have a conversation. I think I know where you're going to land, but I still think it's it's interesting for us to be aware that this is happening. A Boston Children's Hospital was promoting gender-affirming hysterectomies for minors. Mm. So um, a video that was posted in April to the Boston Children's Hospital YouTube channel featured an attending physician uh, in the gynecology division Detailing what she described as a gender-affirming hysterectomy, which the hospital is evidently open to performing on minors. And apparently they have now scrubbed the video because they were facing some backlash. The video was titled, What Happens During a Gender-Affirming Hysterectomy? It uh, was facing backlash for allegedly promoting the surgery for minors who can't consent 
and do not have the mental capacity Mm. to make such a life-altering decision. Okay, so that's the story, Brian. And I don't know if this is just a uh, outlier. Uh, I fear not. So I think that's what I'm afraid of, too. Boston Children's Hospital apparently is now proclaiming that they have become the nation's first pediatric trans surgery center. So a couple things, a couple things. This grieves me. Yeah. This makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, And angry. Yeah. But here's where I would go with this. First of all, they're not just doing it. They're celebrating it. Mm. Like always trust people by what they celebrate. Like, trust that you know what they really value by what they celebrate. Wow, that's good, Brian. Right? So we celebrate what we're most proud of. And they are, this wasn't just a, hey, we do this. This was a celebration of being the first. Yeah. We are celebrating that. So that's awful. Two, Aubrey, my kids can't get, they can't get a tattoo. They can't get dental work. Right. Right. Long, long cigarettes, long list of things my kids can't do. But we're going to let we're going to let minors choose to make a life altering Mm. forever decision when everybody is fully aware. Yeah. That issues of sexuality and gender generally change by the time you're 18. Yep. Yep. Even if you're quote unquote struggling with it at 13. Yeah. There's still science behind the fact that it, it, until they're like adults and their brains have formed, these things aren't settled. So I don't know. I just think it speaks to the depravity of our culture that Mm. we would celebrate uh, this sort of, uh, I mean, pediatric. It's just unbelievable. Like you wouldn't do things that are life altering to a child, except with sexuality. Apparently we do that now. Right. It is. Yeah. Aubrey, the more I talk about it, the more I I just want to proclaim it what it is. It's evil. I think it's evil too, Brian. Yes. And, and I know that there are people out there that would disagree, but I, I think the headline again, and this is when we come back to these issues, the headline is minors. Like let's, Let's please, wherever you stand in your sexual identity conversation, let's allow these decisions that are life altering and, by the way, irreversible to be done by consenting adults like and not the parents like allow these children to grow up and become who God has created them to be. And then they make this decision. Now, I mean, that's even maybe going too far because I I still would stand for like. It's not an okay decision. It's not an okay decision. And yet, if you're going to if you're going to say that's an okay decision, absolutely not for minors. Like, I think it is evil. I think it is abusive. I think we have lost our way when it comes to protecting our kiddos. I I, I don't understand any decision involving their sexuality or their identity at that early age. That is irreversible yes it's crazy there are i mean there are ways parents can let their kids explore their personalities and their identities and things they're interested in as you and i know like growing up as a teenager you change all the time you have so many questions so many leanings and inklings and desires those things change and mature but had my parents let me like marry the first boy that i fell in love with at 16 years old yep my life would be a disaster, disaster, you know? And so I just think like, why in the world would we allow? And you said something oh, earlier, heartbreaking you said me. something earlier that I'm going to push on. You were like, I know people can disagree with this. I think if you disagree with this, you've got a problem. Mm. Like I do. I honestly do. If yeah. you are good 
with minors being able to choose to get a hysterectomy apart from their parents' knowledge, I think you're part of the problem. And I think you really got to look in the mirror and go, what's driving that? Yeah. Like you would not allow that with anything else. Like, I think you're part of the problem. And I, I will say it one more time. Uh, it says a lot about a people, about a culture, yeah. about a nation, by what they celebrate. Mm. We are increasingly celebrating things yeah. that, that many of us would consider deviant and evil. Yeah. And that that says a lot about who we are as a yeah. culture. And I think I think you and I are onto it. I think this is evil. Yeah. And if you imagine reading this 10 years ago. Oh, I mean, I think we would have said, where's the legislation around this? Why aren't these people in jail? Yeah, this is awful. Pediatric trans surgery. Absolutely. Absolutely not. So be careful what people celebrate. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really good word here. Note and note what people celebrate. Brian, um, you've been married to your wife, Carrie, for 22 years. 22 and a glorious half. Oh, oh, well done. Well done, sir. Kevin and I are just behind you 21 years which is hard to believe isn't it we've kind of joked about this it's like who my we were with my niece and her serious boyfriend in nashville and they're 22 they're around the age when kevin and i got married maybe a little older actually and she was like wow you guys got married so young and we were like yeah we don't know like no one stopped us I, my my daughter, who's about to go to college and is 18, every now and then we'll have this talk. And when I mention that we got married at 22, it's like four she, years looks for at, her. she looks at us like we have four heads. <laughs> like, why would you do that? And I'm you like, you'll that? know. You're going to meet yeah. the guy. I said, and I always tell her I didn't go into it going like, I'm going to marry someone. At right. I just met your mom. And right. like, here we go. You fell in love. But uh, yes, 22 and a half years. Um, and now we've hit the stage. Gosh, it's got to be really close to where we've been married as long as we haven't Isn't been. Isn't that weird? I got married that at tw- is so wild to okay, me. Okay, I'm going to do this today. i got to figure out the exact days. I got married at 22 and a half. <gasps> so you and might have passed that. I want to find when that day is. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna do this. Wow! How do leap years play into this? This is gonna get complicated on me. <laughs> do that, do that science and that math, and you come back and tell us. Okay, so having been married for twenty two years, Brian, twenty two yes. and a half years, um, what what have been some of the things that have made your marriage successful? Oh, that's a great question. I think uh, our marriage has been successful in the days when we are laughing a lot. Mm. I think laughter plays a big role. Like uh, Carrie and I will get in bad spots when I can look and we can look at the last month or two and gone. When's the last time we had a good time? Yeah, that's so when's important the last to remember. Time we laughed mm-hmm. or not even laughed, but like you were talking about the other day, you took your boys to uh, Raging Waves. Yeah. And you just kind of said kind of as an aside, you're like, yeah, so they waited in lines and me and Kevin just sat and read in chairs like that does something. Yeah, it like does. just being by each right. other having fun, hanging out. And sometimes it's big things. Like for our 20-year anniversary, Carrie and I went to Mexico with no kids. Awesome. That fills you up. But also just the... So so the question for us is often, are we having fun? Are we yeah. laughing? Or is this all just a task? Yeah. Like, get that kid there. Get We need to buy this. We uh-huh. have to, Tasks build up. Um, and, you know, are we just... Are we picking at each other? Like, I can know when we're just picking at each totally, other. Totally, like, totally. What are we fighting about right now? Uh-huh. Why? Like, why I can we, tell... Why are we kind of mad at each other right now? I can now? tell when I wake up with, like, a disposition of, I'm going to yeah. be mad at my wife today. <laughs> and I, I, people who've been married a long time get that. Like, it just is true. <laughs> it is so true, isn't like, it? she did something that annoyed me, and now right. I'm not letting this go. Right. Like, forget... <laughs> So anyway, how about yourself? Oh, 
man, that's that's so good. I, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that Kevin and I have had to learn to do is, I mean, just basic communication skills where we aren't like we aren't um, iceberging each other. I don't know if that's yep, a verb, yep. but like putting up that wall where we're just like being like short and snippy and like kind of rude to each other. Like I think communicating gently and softly and kindly. And sometimes, honestly, I'll be very vulnerable. Kevin knows this. I actually shared this with him recently. I have to, in my mind, stop and go, he's my best friend. He's my best friend. I would like, okay, so, raging waves. I'll give you an example. He asked me to refill his water bottle because I was walking over to the bathroom. And I, in my mind, was like, I don't want to refill this water bottle. I don't want to carry a water bottle. I, I don't want to, you know. And then I was like, he's my best friend. If any other person asked me to refill their water bottle, I would be like, absolutely. And I wouldn't think twice about it. But because it's him, I was being like bitter and like, meh, meh, meh. And so I just had to be like, what is my problem? Why wouldn't I just go refill his water bottle? It's so true. But it is like this mental game. So I think that piece of communication and just remembering like, this is my best friend. This is the love of my life. I want to make this work. I, you know, and you just you do have to do some of that mental work sometimes, yes. though, to to make marriage. Marriage, work. marriage takes work, right? It like we does. often. Oh man! When you first get married, you're like happily ever after. Here yeah. we go, and it's all going to be just blissful. Yeah. And it's just not the way it works. Yeah. And marriage, if you don't agree that marriage takes work, your marriage is going to have trouble. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the way this works. Yeah. Over at fatherly.com, they have some uh, 23 good pieces of marriage advice. Brian, let me read you just a few and you can respond to them. The first one is this. Remember your commitment. Mm. And I think that one is killer important. Why do you think that matters? Because there are times where you're going to go, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, this remember your commitment is uh, is so important because you've made a covenant to another person before God that yep. says we're in this together in right. good and in bad. Right. Like that's where oh. the good is easy. Yeah, the good is easy, but there's going to be moments of of bad or apathy mm-hmm. or this or that. And if you go, huh, maybe at our lowest point, I want to get out. Yeah, then the, you're going to start entertaining that, Absolutely. and that goes the best way. But instead. This is my best friend. I've committed to yeah. this person. We're in this together. Yeah. It's going to change the way you react to them and the way you work out your problems yeah. and, your, and your struggles. Yeah. I remember my, my grandmother on my wedding day said something like she like pulled me aside and she said, you know, I've been at the, my grandpa had had died. And she said, you know, we were married for over 50 years. And she said, the best marriage advice I can give you is don't get over it, get through it. Mm. And I always think about that. Don't get over it, get through it. And you do it like as a team, as a partner. Uh, The next two pieces of advice are kind of what we've talked about. Again, this is fatherly.com, good marriage advice. Don't ever stop trying and assume the best of one another. That's Mm -hmm. going back to that concept of like, let's have fun. And this person's my best friend. Uh, Number four, this is what I was, I think, trying to say when I said, Stop iceberging. Stop stonewalling. It's mm. where you like build that wall in between the other yep. person. And that can actually create a lot of problems. And number five, communicate respectfully. Number six, let me ask your thoughts about this one, Brian. Always be flexible. They say that unexpected events, expenses, and situations come up in relationships. And if we're too rigid, we resist facing the unexpected. That's right. A couple's ability to go with the flow, especially when it's dramatically different from what they expected, gives them opportunity 
to learn new skills and more importantly, get to know each other in ways they may never have known. Why do you think flexibility matters? I think in that's marriage? interesting because we do change, right? Like I'm not Carrie's not the same person I married, yeah. and I'm not the same person that she married, uh, and that's a good thing. Right. But if we're not still trying to get to know each other, curious about each other's yeah. lives, flexible with them, you know, trying new things, then then that's just going to cause problems over and over again. Yeah, that's that's really good. Another one, uh, they say, stop invalidating. I think this is a really good one in marriages. Emotional invalidation is a frequent and sinister force in relationships. It occurs when someone discounts their partner's feelings, implying that for them to be saying or doing something, they must either be crazy, stupid, or some combination of the two. It can happen in a quick, almost casual manner. That's ridiculous. Or it can even be done passive aggressively, telling a partner how they should react before mm. you even speak. In worst case scenarios, the invalidation can devolve into situations that can be humiliating and degrading. Needless to say, doled out over time, invalidation can be incredibly destructive to a relationship. I think that's really interesting. Like mm. invalidating your spouse's feelings or opinions can be a way of disrespecting them and like um drawing a major dividing line i i think it's true or i sometimes i've i've had to be challenged by the fact that because i know my wife loves me and i love her that i'll make her the butt of the joke yeah, every now and then and yeah. like oh wait she still has feelings and right. can get hurt that by hurts what i say feelings. and vice versa mm. like that that's also part of that yeah okay let me read one more um again this is good marriage advice over at fatherly.com play tennis not catch. I like this one. What do you think they mean by that? Uh, I don't know. Like we're volleying stuff back and forth. So yeah. we're continuing to talk about things instead of holding on to That's them. That's exactly Boom! what it is. Good job, right? I had to work that out. It says you, you really want to, if you find yourself playing tennis, I always tell couples that's the wrong game, said Chambers. You really want to be paying, playing a catch because it's a much slower game. You're taking the ball. You're trying to toss it so that your partner can easily receive it. They catch it. They look at the ball in their mitt. They pick it up and toss it back to their partner. I think it's interesting. They said play tennis, not catch. But I think they mean play catch, not tennis. So you're not going back and forth super quickly. No, no. I think you do want oh, to do that. Oh, you do want to. You want to keep volleying things back and forth. Instead of catch, instead I of hold catch, on and then to stuff. I hold stuff. it. Okay, yes. got it. You're in this defensive pattern. Such a but tennis, you're playing person. A game. Clearly, I'm not a sports person. All right. Well, there's some good pieces of marriage of advice for you. All right. It is the end of the show today. We're so glad that you've been with us today. When we get to the end of the show, you tend to speak in more accents. I... <laughs> Everybody, it's the hey, end of the, the show. show everybody. <laughs> my yeah, my my accent is always. I'm trying to do Irish, and it's never quite Irish. Is but you it? keep trying. Thank you. you I keep will. Trying. I'll keep trying until my dying day. Um, we're so glad that you're with us, though. And then at the end of every show, we love to bring you something a little bit challenging or inspiring, or something just to put a smile on your face. Relevant magazine is writing about leadership. Okay, they say that there are five great things leaders do that other people don't. Don't look yet, Brian. You've probably already looked. But I did not don't look. look. What do you think one thing is that a great leader does that other people don't? This is kind of a hard question. I think one of these will be great leaders listen. Mm. That they don't always have to be the one telling people what oh, to do. That's I think good. listen. That's really good. This is like the mm. family feud. Like, where does it land on here? <laughs> okay, let's see what they say here at Relevant. One, leaders learn to follow first. Mm. Why does that matter for leadership? You know, because I think, A, it's helpful to know um, what your followers are going yeah. through, right? Like, yeah. 
you know, and I think it keeps you from arrogance. Mm. Like it's going, hey, I'm not the end all here. Uh, there are other people who should have a voice. There are other voices that are important. Yeah. Uh, because obviously our bent is always towards leading in general, whether you're a leader or not. Everybody wants to be in charge. Uh, but this idea that, hey, I can follow. I yep. can, I, I, there's people I lead, but there's also people I yep. follow is an important thing. Yeah. And I think if a leader is unwilling to follow somebody, that's probably a red flag when mm-hmm. you say, because that strikes me as prideful and arrogant and, and lacking in, um, Lacking in a willingness to learn. But if you, I mean, really, especially for Christian leadership, uh, Relevant Magazine says Christian leaders are primarily in the following business. And so we ought to be people who can follow Mm -hmm. others. All right. Number two, uh, five things that leaders do that most people don't. The second one is find a mentor. Interesting. Why do you think that matters? It's kind of the same idea. You don't, just because you're leading something or an organization or someone, it doesn't mean you have all the answers. There's Mm -hmm. always got to be. It's what we talk about with Christian discipleship. There's, there should be people in front of you and behind yeah, you. Yeah, that's good. People you're bringing along, but people who are bringing you along. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we use fancy words like mentor, but, you know, it's just people who are helping you grow. Leaders are always yeah. growing. You're always yeah. uh, learning, right? And um, that's good. so who famously said, right, leaders are learners. Like, we're always learning. So who's doing that for you? Mm-hmm. Who's te- If you're learning, who's teaching you? Yeah, who's mentoring good. you? Who's growing you? Yeah, that's good. Many of the very best leaders continue to have coaches and mentors, even as they sit at the highest levels of leadership mm-hmm. in their company organization. It is never too late to find a mentor, you can find one or three, they say at Relevant Magazine, and start asking them questions. Give them permission to speak truths into your life and take really good notes. Mm. I think that's good. Uh, number three, five things great leaders do that most people don't. Number three, finish what they start. I think this one is killer because there are a lot of people who start a lot of things but don't actually follow through. In fact, I'm sitting here thinking of, oh, I've I've wanted to start this one thing, but I've never actually done it for like 10 years right, now. You right. know what I mean? But the difference between a good leader and somebody else is they actually start it and then follow it all the way through. Guilty as charged on this one. I think this <laughs> has been one of my hardest learning things in the 12 years of our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became a... I say a joke, but it it's a joke, but also a frustration where people like our reputation was gonna throw things against the wall. We might start it, but we're not yeah, really going to yeah, kind of see that I think through. That's very true of early church planting days. And I, I don't think I ever recognize the high level of frustration that brings people. Yeah, that does I bring see, people frustration. I can see it in people's eyes. I can see it in what they've said down the road when maybe they've left the church mm-hmm. or maybe they've critiqued the church mm-hmm. like. We just do. We just start stuff, and don't. What about yeah. this? And you're like, uh, yes. Welcome you're right. to church planting. You're yep, right. Yep. It's actually kind of good for me to hear you say that because I know there have been number of years at Renal Church where we were just trying stuff out to see what worked, and kind yep. of we called it cowboying it. <laughs> trying not to do that anymore, but. Um, again, leaders, great leaders finish what they start over at Relevant Magazine. They're saying one of the best pieces of advice I was given as an aspiring young leader was do everything you can to finish what you start. They also admit that this was not their track record up until that time, but that advice changed their life. This author says, I meet a lot of passionate young people who jump from one thing to the next without finishing many of the things they've started. As my mentor pointed out to me in my early 20s, this is a character issue. It's a Mm. sign of immaturity and selfishness. 
as what we want or feel right now is given complete precedence. It breaks trust with others as they come to realize we can't be counted on to follow through on what we've said. Mm. It develops a really bad habit that will not serve you well as you grow older. So finish what you start, no matter how badly you want to quit, no matter how hard it gets, finish and finish well. I think that finishing well is a really good Mm -hmm. piece. Okay, number four, things that great leaders do that most people don't. They decide who they want to be and they act accordingly. I actually feel like I need this advice right now. Like they say this might sound obvious, but it's important to realize you're not just going to roll out of bed one day and be who you want to be. You won't Mm. just stumble into your dream job. You won't be an overnight success. There's no such thing. You won't accidentally become more wise, more talented, more contented, etc. You need to decide who you want to be. And then become that person. Practice the habits now that will get you there That's good. today. Yep, yep. It's going to uh, be who you want to be yeah. in the future, right? Like start living into that. I think mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, that's good. Okay, here's the last one. Number five, don't wait for permission. Uh, this author says that they meet a lot of young people who plan to do something someday but are doing little to move in that direction. This is kind of similar to the last one about deciding who you want to be. This person says, You want to start a business? Awesome. Start one. Even if it fails in six months and you don't net a single dollar, you will have learned more trying and failing than you will sitting around reading Fast Company for the next five years. The same goes for anything else. You want to go into ministry? Great. Start doing ministry today. Take responsibility for spiritually investing in those in your relational circles now. Pay attention to what happens. If you see fruit, that's a good sign. If not, you've got some experience to process with your mentor before you invest a whole lot more years and money in an education you may never use. Don't wait for permission. You can start where you are right now. What do you think about that one? That's really good. Yeah. I mean, my, my first thought was like, oh, that feels very ca- cowboyish. I was like, thinking right? that but, too. But the way they explained it, mm-hmm. I think, is good. Great list. Where's listening? Oh, they missed listening. It feels like it's embedded in some of those, yeah. but I feel like... I think it, you're actually onto something, though, Brian, that great liter- leaders are not just the ones they filling listen. in the... Yeah, they listen, and not I think part of that talk. is they're learning as they listen. Said the people who have a talk show. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Said the- Good leaders listen <laughs> and don't just talk and talk and talk for two hours without Every ever day listening. from 4 to 6 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. Talkie, 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 talkie. All right. Well, let us know on social media at Common Good Talk. Things that great leaders do that other people do not. I think those that's a list we can all learn from, certainly, if we want to grow. Well, we will be back again talking tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.